Thank you. You can be seated. Well, welcome to summer school. Oh, that went over well. You know, when I was in school, high school, back around the time of the flood, uh, going to summer school was not a positive, it, it did not have positive implications. Generally, it meant that you had struggled somewhat, partied too much, skipped class too much, failed too many tests, and the principal felt that you needed a little remedial help to help your academic situation. Well, I was talking to an educator not too long ago, and we were talking about this idea of summer school because I was kicking around this idea of a, of a, of a sermon series entitled Summer School, and I said, well, what's, what's summer school for these days? And he said, well, if you're in elementary school or middle school, it's about nailing your learning down or getting ahead. I thought, well, great. Uh, we, we all need to nail some things down, and we all could use some things to get ahead. He said, if you're in high school, it's all about credit recovery, you know, so you can graduate and go to that next level. Well, I thought, okay, I can work with that too, because we all need to recover maybe some lost truth so we can go to that next level spiritually. So I thought, great, we're going to summer school. You're still not excited, are you? That's all right. Well, today in our, in our summer school class, the first class we're going to talk about today is, uh, is we're going to talk about, since it's 4th of July, we're going to talk about government. And I love government. If I wasn't in the ministry, I would be in law, and man, I would, I would just love, and, and specifically, we're going to talk about freedom today as we go to summer school class. Now, with any class... And with any situation, you know there's always the opportunity of having a pop quiz. So today you're going to have a pop quiz. Now everybody repeat after me. Raise your right hand. I promise to be honest and not flunk this test. If I flunk this test, I will cut the pastor's grass. All right, never mind, never mind, never mind. You know where I'm going with that. All right. So here's the deal. By the way, if you pass the test, I can't give you an A, but what I will, if you, get, uh, if you get four out of five correct, very simple stuff about government, Constitution, United States of America, 4th of July, rah, 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 I will give you, I will give you a coupon so you can get an ice cream cone or a sundae at, Deer, or at uh, Baskin Robbins, okay? And so that's kind of what you're doing for. So you've got to write it down on something, all right, just so you can come up and and then you just got to be, you know, honest here and don't go, well, dude, you know. And by the way, if you got the questions from the, if you got the answers from the first service, we mixed everything up for this service uh, as well because we know how Keith Shamanic puts things out there uh, for everybody, all right? So here's our first question. Are you ready? When, when was the Constitution of the United States signed? Very simple question. When was the Constitution of the United States signed? July 4, 1776, July 4, 1778, September 17, 1776, or September 17, 1787. All right? I really feel, you only get five seconds, by the way, to answer these questions. If you don't know, because this is, this is like elementary history right here, elementary government. So if you don't know it by now, you're in no trouble. And I see a lot of you cheating, looking off somebody else's paper. This is not, you know, thing... All right, and the answer is D, all right? D, how many got the answer right? 
Oh, we have about a dozen people uh, who got that answer right. Next question. Uh, how many members are in the Congressional House of Representatives? 354, 435, 553, five, or uh, 453. All right. 453, 534, 435, 354. Time's up. The answer is... B, 435. How many have got the first two right? Well, we're whittling them down, all right? Next question. Including, now you got to pay attention to the wording of this question. Pay careful attention because you know how teachers do that stinking little wordy thing just to trip you up. All right? Including the territories, the U.S. territories of Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia... How many United States Senators are there? 100, 102, 103, 104. I really feel like we need the Jeopardy song, you know. Do, 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 do. Okay, and the answer is A, 100. A, 100. How many got that one right? All right, very good. A few more of you. By the way, I'll be honest, the first service was a whole lot smarter than you guys. I just... I'll just be honest with you about that, man. Everybody just about got that one right. All right, fourth question. Um, what, what are the three branches of government? So simple. The legislative branch, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the military. The legislation, judicial cabinet, judicial, legislative, Joint Chiefs of Staff, judicial, legislative, or executive. By the way, I am a little shocked that our teenagers are not getting these questions right. Very simple stuff. They are in school, and the answer is... D, don't you feel proud you got one right. Give it up. I'm so glad you came to summer school today. The final question. Name two of the four freedom documents that our Constitution and Bill of Rights derive their philosophy from. In other words, what are the two foundational documents from whence we get our freedom? All you got to do is come up with two out of the four. So simple, two out of the four. Two, you don't even have to give me the year. All right? Only two. All right? Give me two. You better need to tell Miss Sue just so she can trust but verify here. All right? All right? Brian, I think Brian's got them all right back there. Uh, Christian's got, I think you've got them all right too, haven't you? No? You missed one? And uh, Jereen Wilson is fading fast back there. All right, and the answer is the Magna Carta, the Petition of Rights, the Writ of Habeas Corpus, and the English Bill of Rights. How many got that one right? Man, isn't it incredible that you don't know the foundation of our freedoms? How many of you have never heard of the Magna Carta? I'm looking at our college and teenagers right now. I'm, I'm worried because our interns are among them. I'm a little worried right now about, about that, that section. Petition of rights? Writ of habeas corpus? No? English bill of... You know, it's amazing that we don't know where our true freedom comes from. And so this morning I thought in our government class we would look at where the ultimate freedom comes from. That we would look at, at what gives us ultimate freedom... And purpose uh, in life. And by the way, if you got all five of those or four out of five right, see me afterwards, and I'll give you the I'll give you the uh, uh, 
give you a little, little certificate. You know, this morning it's very important that we understand where our freedoms are coming from. So just like any good teacher, you have a lesson plan, and here's the object, objectives in the lesson plan. We want to learn the source of our freedom. We want to learn what our freedom gives us. And then we want to learn how to live in that freedom. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The source of our freedom, what our freedoms give us, and then how to live as, uh, as, as free people. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And by the way, I hope you bring your Bibles. You know we throw them up on the screen, and that's for people who are new to the church or may not have a Bible. For those of us who consider this our own church, man, I hope you bring your Bible and mark it up and circle and write it and, and scribble notes in it. And, uh, and I think that's, that's so important. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Listen to what it says. It says, live as free men. Live as free men. Live as free men. Now the reason we're supposed to live as free men is that because the context of this verse, he's talking about being subject to higher powers. You know? And you're supposed to be, you know, under and honor those in authority in this way and that way and all that, that kind of thing. And then he comes down to, to the ultimate thing is you live as free men. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Then he goes on to tell us how to live. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. It's great. This is one of those great passages in this little book of 1 Peter. By the way, if you have trouble finding 1 Peter, go to the end of the Bible and hang a left. And, and it's not too far away from the book of the Revelation. And I just kind of want to kind of tell us that what we have today is the basis of our freedom. If we're to live as free men, we cannot forget the basis of our freedom, even though all of you forgot the writ of habeas corpus, the Bill, English Bill of Rights, the Magna Carta, and the other one that I just forgot, all right? And so we got to remember the foundation. Go to John chapter 8. The basis of our freedom, the basis of our freedom is Jesus Christ. The basis of all men's true and ultimate freedom is not found in an ideological viewpoint, a political belief, or a philosophical bent. It is held in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is responding to the Jews, and we got done, we uh, recently got done preaching through the book of John, and the book of John has a lot of great things. We didn't get to this passage, but it's a great passage that says to the Jews, who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, and you really are my disciples, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Truth in this context does not refer to a way of thinking. It refers to a person whose type of living were to follow. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one has access to the Father except they come through me because I am, capital T, the truth. Jesus said, when you know the truth, then you have freedom. Jesus was saying, when you know me, you have freedom. 
There was a day when he went to the synagogue and was the custom of first century Jews of that day. They would sit down in a, in a and everyone had the, had the ability to read. And so they came to, to Jesus' time and his place in the circle and he stood to read. They handed him a scroll and this is found in Luke chapter 4 verses uh, 18 and 19. And he read a quote from Isaiah talking about his purpose as the truth in coming. He said, for the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's claiming to be the Messiah. Because he, God, has anointed me, Jesus, to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. And to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down. You understand what Jesus just said? He said, I am the truth that will set you free. See, the, ba- the foundation and the basis of our freedom is not in your personality. It is not in your church attendance. It is not how good or virtuous you are. The basis of our freedom is found only in the superiority and the supremacy of Jesus Christ because there is no higher freedom and no other higher freedom, get- freedom giver than Jesus Christ. And so the basis of our freedom, the basis of it all, is in Jesus Christ. It's his death, burial, and resurrection. Because by his death, burial, and resurrection, he proved to everyone that he was who he said he was, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And that being the truth, Being the truth that has come to provide freedom for prisoners, those of us who are chained in sin. He died on the cross and paid for your sins and mine and then rose again victorious over sin, death, Satan, hell, and the grave. He is the ultimate and consummate liberator. And he alone provides true freedom. And so this morning, if you want true freedom, you don't need to be an American. You need to be a Christ follower. This morning, if you want true freedom, it's not found in living in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. It's found in knowing Christ in your heart. It's not about what church you go to or the size of the church you go to. Or the name of the church over the church door. It's about knowing Jesus as your personal Savior. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I came to church on a, on a holiday. I'm glad you did, but that's not going to get you into heaven. Because you're still chained to your sin, even though you come to church. What's going to get you to heaven is knowing Christ as your Savior. So he tells us the basis of our freedom. The basis of our freedom is Jesus Christ. But then what does our freedom give us? Go back to John chapter 8. What does our freedom give us? And this is a message a lot of us need to hear. What does our freedom give us? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Same passage as John 
that we read before, John 8, 31 and 32. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin is its owner. The devil is his master. Now, a slave is no permanent place in the family, talking about the family of God, but a son, a son belongs to it, the family, forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. What Jesus was saying is, listen, if you are still in the chains of sin, then you got to have someone in the family who has the ability, who has the means, who has the authority, who has the power to set you free. That would be Jesus, the Son of God. So Christ is the basis of our freedom. And then what do you get as free men? We're to live as free men. What are, what are the benefits? And there's many. I just want to throw out three that you can kind of see, see interwoven in the text and, and then really throughout the passage of John chapter 8. First of all, there is absolute forgiveness of sin. Amen? One of the benefits you get as a believer in Jesus Christ, because you have found your freedom in Christ, you have this personal relationship with Christ, you have freedom from sin. Amen? I mean, your sins are gone. The Bible says that with his death on the cross, his blood covers, atones for, is the substitutionary covering for your sin so that when Christ look or when God looks at you, he doesn't see your unrighteousness, he sees Christ's righteousness. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your sinfulness, he sees his son's Jesus' holiness. When he looks at you, he doesn't see the immoral person that you are, he sees the moral person that Jesus is. You get forgiveness of sin. And man, that's cool. Because a lot of you in here are messed up. You might as well, amen, go ahead, look at y'all. A couple of weeks ago when we had the baby dedication, you scared the children to death. They had to look at you. Because you messed up. By the way, if this is your first time at Kirby Church, and you think, oh man, this is like perfect church, perfect people, please. Pick a row, I'll tell you how messed somebody on that row is. That is nervous laughter right there, you know? <laughs> because we're all messed up. We're not a, a church for perfect people, but we are a perfect church for imperfect people. Because we're all messed up. But you know what Jesus does when you kneel down and, or you bow your head or you kneel down or in a, in a quiet moment and reflect a moment, the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, your name gets written down in the Lamb's book of life, your sins get washed away, never to be remembered anymore, that ought to make us excited. Because some of you have messed up. I'm telling you, there are some of you, you have a, you have a life of addictions. You have a life of, of drugs or alcohol or sexual addictions. You got a, you got a lifetime of, of, of lying and deceiving. You got just this whole thing of, of going on, man. And when Jesus Christ forgives you and you ask him to forgive you of your sins, he doesn't forgive you of some of them. The good news of the gospel is he forgives you of all of them. I bet I could go on every other road today 
and points you to somebody who has had some kind of an addiction in their past. Alcoholism, drugs, violence. I mean, there's something in most of our past that, that, that we would love to keep hidden. I'm sure in a congregation of our size, there's probably someone who's had an affair that their spouse does not know about. I'm sure there's someone in our congregation this morning who has a private addiction to pornography that maybe your spouse does not know about. And you see, Jesus Christ forgives you of it all. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that he takes our sins and he throws them as far as the east is from the west, as far as the heavens are high above the earth, never to be remembered anymore. Corey Tim Boone, who in the years of the Holocaust, when her and her family and her dad was a clockmaker and, uh, and, a, and a watch guy, he was a watch guy, whatever that guy is, he was the guy that fixes watches, you know. We don't, do, we don't even wear watches anymore. We got the phone, you know. But he was, did that, and they would hide Jews who were escaping the persecution. And Corey Tim Boone wrote in her book, The Hiding Place, that God takes her sins, puts them as far as the east is from the west, as far as the heavens are high above the earth, and then he posts a no fishing sign. I like that. Some of you who are older, you may remember the old Spear family, the, the Southern Gospel family, the Singing Spears, Ben Spear, Brock Spear, and, and uh, May Spear, Singing Spear family. And back in the 60s, 70s, early 80s, I mean, man, they were like big. And if, if your mom and dad took you to Southern Gospel Sings, like my mom and dad took me to Southern Gospel Sings, it was like the Spear family were everywhere. And they sang this song. It was a cool song. It was a song kind of uh, about a guy who, who was struggling with the, the ideas, is, is all of his sins really forgiven? And he was questioning God and just kind of asking God to forgive that sin over and over and, and over again. And the, and the response, the chorus is this. It, it's kind of God talking back to the person. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. From the book of life, they've all been torn out. I don't remember them anymore. And for those of you who have messed up, for those of you who have the sin of, and the stain of sin in your past, for those of you who have just a legacy of hurt and sin, man, the good news of the gospel is that your sins are gone. They are under the blood of Jesus. You are free. Amen? So live as free men. Live as free men. Not only are you free from sin then having been forgiven of sin, but then you're free from the condemnation of sin. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not talking about the temporary consequences of sin. Every sin has a consequence. You cannot sin and get away with it. Sooner or later, sin has a consequence. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Don't kid yourself. Be sure, the book of Numbers says, your sins will find you out. Every sin has a consequence. It may not be immediate. It may not be in the next month. It may not be in the next year. You cannot outrun the consequences of sin. But I'm not talking about in this life. I'm talking about when you stand in front of God, the judgment of sin upon you and the condemnation, the ultimate punishment of sin, eternity in hell has been lifted my mother-in-law spent 
uh, week with us uh, a week or so ago, and, and she's into the Kaylee Anthony, the Casey Anthony trial. And so I, I would go home and watch a little bit. If I wasn't, like I said earlier, if I wasn't in ministry, man, I would be in lawn. I would be that guy who would go for the jugular, you know? And I, so I would go home, do a little work at the house, and, and just kind of sit with her. And my wife was, had a lot of things going on that week, so I'd just kind of sit with her a little bit. And there'd be times that I'd just be typing away, and I'd just hear them do something. I'd go, what? Go for it. You know, go for the kill. they just, next question, please. You know, that kind of thing. I just, man, I'd go for the kill. Can you tell? Here's the deal. If I was to walk into that courtroom and they were in session... The judge would not look at me and go, tremble, you're guilty. I am not guilty. I'm not charged with a crime. Do you understand that? If I were to walk in his courtroom, I could not be guilty because in his court, I am not accused of a crime. If I were to go to his courtroom and stand in front of him, his judge, I would not be guilty because I've not been accused of a crime. When you and I accept Christ as our Savior, and we are clothed in His righteousness, we are bathed in His forgiveness of sin, we have put on Christ and taken off our sinful nature and put on that new man in Christ Jesus, when we stand in God's throne room in His judicial court of law, there are no crimes against us. Did you hear that? You stand accused of nothing because the judgment has been lifted. Now, some of you struggle with this thing, man. You go to sleep some nights just worried about if you die before I wake, you know, is, is the Lord my salvation going to take? No. If you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ and Christ lives in your heart, listen, the punishment and the condemnation of sin has been lifted. John 3, 36 says, There is now therefore no condemnation because you believe. But to those that believe not, there is condemnation because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. The good news of the gospel is that you and I don't ever have to fear anymore of going to hell because we know Christ as our Lord and Savior and we embrace Him and follow Him. That's great news. You say, you don't ever worry about going to hell? No. I'm a believer in Christ. I don't fear it any more than I do walking in Casey Anthony's court and the judge pronouncing me guilty because the punishment of sin has been lifted. But not only is the, do I have forgiveness of sin and do I have freedom from the condemnation of sin, but I want you to understand one other final thing is that I'm free from the guilt of sin. I'm free from the guilt of sin. Now, in case there's somebody here that's a new Christian, or there's somebody here this morning that's struggling with this thing of guilt, all right? Those of us who are a little more mature in our faith, those of us who've been down the road a little bit in our faith, would you just amen here so that everybody understands we're all on the same guilt page here, all right? One of the favorite tools of the devil is to get out his guilt whooping stick and to constantly beat you up and tell you things like 
you're not good enough. If you're really a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. You ought to know better than that by now. You ought to, you ought to straighten up your act. You, you think that and you call yourself a Christ follower? Don't you understand that the devil has this big whooping stick and he wants to beat us up over guilt? And I don't think there is a person in here who has not been beaten up by the devil's whooping stick of guilt. Amen? Now, I want you to understand, if our basis of freedom is Jesus Christ, and that is the basis of ultimate and true freedom, and we're to live as free men, and that one of the benefits we get is forgiveness of sin, the condemnation of the eternal punishment of hell is lifted, then I want you to understand, and write this down, just, just get a pen and write this down, for no other reason that it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And if it ever comes up in summer school class, you'll know the answer to the, to the pop quiz. Romans 6.14. Romans 6.14. It says, sin shall have no dominion, authority, purpose, control over you. For you are not under law, but you're under grace. What he is simply telling us is that as a believer, as a child of God, no matter what you have done in your past, if it is underneath the blood of Christ, then you may wrestle with feelings of guilt, and, and, and that's a separate issue. But as far as giving the devil authority to take his big whooping stick of guilt and beat you up with that, and to beat you up with it over and over and over... Listen, some of you keep confessing the same sin that you are not doing anymore but that you did years ago Jesus Christ has forgiven you of that and the devil just got his big guilt whooping stick out just beating you up over this now listen I got two words I'm going to give it to you in the Greek then I'm going to give it to you in the Hebrew and then I'm going to give it to you in English Get your pen ready. Write this down. Two words that when the devil gets his big whooping stick of guilt out that you can do. Two words. Are you ready? Shut up. That is both. Everybody say it with me. Shut up. The Bible says if we resist the devil... I'm pretty sure that in a congregation in church of our size, that probably somewhere in our congregation, somebody's cheated on somebody, and the devil just keeps beating you over and over, and you've told you, God you're sorry, and, and God's forgiven you of that, and you still got to deal with the consequences of that. I understand that, and, and there's that area that you got to deal with, but as far as the devil having authority to take that big whooping stick and to beat you up with his, with his whooping stick of guilt, uh-uh, you tell the devil, shut up. It's the Greek. It's a Hebrew. It's tremble. I just threw that last one in. It says if we resist the devil, because here's what we do. Man, we just kind of sit there and go, well, you know, the devil says, man, you're just scum of the earth. And you go, yeah, I kind of am. No, you're not. You're a free man. I don't care what you've been. 
The freedom that you have in Christ gives you new life and new hope and new purpose and new meaning, and it gives you a new start. I'm sure in a congregation of our size, maybe in high school, there might be one of you that got secretly pregnant and had an abortion. And nobody ever knows about it. And every time you see a baby born, man, you just, with angst, you just feel the, the burden of that mistake. And I can't take away the consequences in this life of that mistake. I'm just simply saying that the devil has no authority to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See what you did? See, you just tell the devil to shut up because my sins are underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. And devil, you have no authority to speak into my life. I have three boys. They're all grown now. I have three men. <laughs> They're all grown now. My youngest is, is, uh, is here today. And, uh, and, and, and in, the, in the context when they were little, really the whole church kind of helped raise my kids. Our wildcats just loved on them and and would get them out of so much trouble uh, when, they were, when they were running around growing up and, and around the church and everything. But the bottom line is, you really couldn't come to me and say, this is what you need to do with your kids. I could listen, but the ultimate authority of what happens to my children is mine because I'm their father. Listen, the devil can yap and chirp and bark and hoot. But that's all he can do. You're not in his domain anymore. Sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under law. You're under grace, and you are a child of the king. So let's live as free men. See, the basis of our relationship is Jesus Christ. or The basis of our freedom is Jesus Christ. And then... Because we're free in Christ, we have three, three and they just gave you three, but we're forgiven of sin, the punishment, the condemnation of, of eternity and hell has been lifted, and, and then we're freed from the guilt of sin. Not the consequences in this life, but the guilt of sin. But now, how are we to live as free men? Go back to 1 Peter 2. Go back to 1 Peter 2. We're to live by showing proper respect to everyone. Now, I just kind of want to be a little blunt and a little honest here, and, and, and we just got to kind of be honest with ourselves here. Let me tell you exactly what this verse means. This verse means that we're to treat everyone exactly the same because every person, no matter who they are, the color of the skin, how much money or lack of money they got, no matter who they are, they are created in the image of God, and on that basis and that basis alone, we're to show proper respect to everyone. Now, in Paul's day, in Peter's day, he was writing, and in the context of the passage, he was talking specifically about slave owners having their slaves, and there were 60 million Jews, or not 60 million Jews, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time, and Peter is saying, listen, I know that the Roman culture says they have no rights. I know the Roman culture says they're just objects. 
I know the Roman culture says they're just to be, you know, used up and then tossed aside. Paul is saying because everyone, or Peter is saying because everyone bears the image of Christ in their body. Therefore, because of the dignity of Christ that, is, that resonates within them in their image, that we are to show respect, proper respect to all men because all men everywhere and women everywhere have a certain amount of dignity because they are created in the image of God. Now, what that means is, is that all the prejudice that you may have against white on black or white on Hispanic, rich against poor, smart against ignorant, you show everyone proper respect. Doesn't matter your social economic class. Listen, if Christians would just follow this one simple directive from God's word, we could put a huge dent in the prejudices that go on in this world. And God help us that if there is prejudice in the world, let it not be named among those of us who call ourselves the children of God. Listen, I know where we live. We live in mostly white, upper, middle, middle or slightly upper class, suburban America, Motown, home of the you know, we Detroit, Detroit, I mean, man, we, we think that we're smarter as Americans. We, we have this elitism attitude as Americans. We think that we have a better society and better culture and a better this and a better that and better educated and better this because we are a superpower. I, I don't care. Listen, the scriptures say, show proper respect to everyone. Teenagers, you know what that means? That means show proper respect to your parents. You're not excluded from that verse. Go ahead and amen. Parents, you just missed a golden opportunity, amen. Because they're going to amen right here. Get ready. This is you guys. And parents, show proper respect to your children. See, that's why they need summer school, you know? <laughs> Husbands, show proper respect to your wives. Wives, show proper respect to your husbands. As free men, we're to show proper respect, but then we're also to love the brotherhood of the believer. I love that phrase. It's the only time in the Bible it appears that way, in the brotherhood of the believers. Love the brotherhood of the believers. In other words, love other Christians. Love the church. One of the things, the two goals that we have for our children's ministry is we want them to, to know and to be shown the love of God, but we also want them to help to love the church because we feel that that fulfills what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're supposed to love the brotherhood of the believer. Now, I know we've kind of bought into this lie, and here's the lie. The lie is... Well, I've given Jesus my Christ my heart, and that's a very personal and private decision. And, and it's a very personal and private decision, so I'm just going to keep my faith to myself because faith is a personal and private decision. We've all heard that, right? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Can I tell you that again? 
That is the most unbiblical thing I've ever heard in my life. When in the New Testament, the answer, since this is class time, and you don't get any more bonus points for this, but when people became followers of Jesus Christ, what did they do? They got what? They got baptized. They took a private decision, and it became a public event. When Paul led people to the Lord, what did he immediately do? He plugged them into a church so that their private decision had public ramifications. Your faith, even though it's an individual thing between you and God, your faith has corporate, church-wide ramifications. That's why he's saying, listen, you got to love the brotherhood of believers because you're a part of the brotherhood of believers. When Jesus Christ saved you, he didn't just save you and go, okay, you're over here by yourself. He saved us from sin, ransomed us out of the marketplace of sin, and dropped us in the family of God, the brotherhood uh, the, the brotherhood of believers, I lost my spot there. He dropped us in the church, the family of God. And what you do has ramifications on all of us. Don't believe me? Doesn't matter. Pick a couple. Pick a couple. Doesn't matter. If you found out next week that one of those in that couple was unfaithful to another one in that couple, boy, it'd have ramifications in the church, wouldn't it? If one of you just kind of went off and started binging and partying and, and, and you got arrested, and boy, it'd have ramifications, wouldn't it? Yes, your faith is an individual decision because nobody else can make it for you between you and a saving Jesus, but your actions have an effect on the corporate body. Let's just say tonight, 4th of July night, I got the interns all day today. I'm going to be so sick of them by tonight. So let's just say that we go out to the bars. We go party. Listen, the only party I've been to anymore is just birthday parties. I don't even know how to party, you know. We go out, we start drinking, doing some drugs. I don't have a clue how to do drugs, but we figure it out. <laughs> we work through that kind of little problem. Somebody snaps a picture of your pastor plastered. That's right, call me Pastor Plastered. <laughs> and that thing gets thrown up on Facebook. You won't have to wait till next Sunday to know what's going on in the church, will you? You say, well, wait a minute. You're the pastor. You're more important. Mm -mm. Show proper respect to everyone. See, what you do is ramifications in the body of Christ. The way you live, your testimony, whether you're here or you're off at college, your testimony has ramifications in this, that's why he says, listen, live in such a way that you love the brotherhood of the believers. And when, they, when they're hurt, hurt with them. When they rejoice, 
celebrate it with them. When they're broken, be there to lift them up. When they succeed, celebrate their successes. Then he says, fear God. And the word fear is not, you know, I'm kind of afraid. It's not afraid. It's this reverential awe of wonder. And I guess one of the saddest things about the church is that we've kind of lost the wonder of a God who's full of wonders. And so he says, fear God. And then I want to give you one final one. He says, honor the king, because this is a cool, cool little statement when he says, honor the king. What Peter's really kind of telling us is to remember what country our citizen is truly from. Remember what country we're truly citizens of. We need to remember what country we're truly citizens of. Can I give you a statement? You ought to write this down. I'll say it a couple of times, but here's the statement. You are not citizens, as a Christian, you are not citizens of this world trying to get to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven trying to get through this world. Amen? Man, listen, my mail comes to Flat Rock, Michigan. But that's my temporary address. Heaven is my home. I'm a resident alien in this world, but heaven is my home. We used to sing a song when I was a kid growing up about a poor wayfaring pilgrim traveling through this world below. This is not all. I am not a citizen. I'm not, I, I am a citizen of the United States of America. But my allegiance is to the kingdom of God. My allegiance is to the citizenry of heaven. My allegiance is to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. I am not a citizen of this world on my way to heaven. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm a citizen of heaven making my way through this world. And as we make this way through our world, man, we need to, we need to fear God. We need the love, the brotherhood, uh, the brothers, the band of brotherhood of believers. I've messed that up, but you know what I'm talking about. And we need to show proper respect to everyone. You're not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You are, as a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven trying to get through this world. But maybe you're here this morning and you're a citizen of this world trying to make it to heaven the only way you're going to do it is to know the truth and the truth Jesus Christ will give you freedom it's not doctrine it's not teaching you make you don't make Jesus what you want him to be you simply take him as he is not an ideology not a philosophical bent but you take him as a true literal person who died on the cross for your sins, rose again so you could have freedom from sin, the punishment of sin, the guilt of sin, so you can live as free men. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Maybe this morning you're here and you don't have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ that I've talked about. Maybe you're still a citizen in this world. And you say, well, how can I know Christ is my Savior? Let me tell you quickly what you need to do. It starts with a very simple prayer. Jesus Christ spoken to your heart and you realize you want to go to heaven. And, and all I simply ask you to do is give Christ your heart. Do it with this simple prayer. Repeat it in your heart. Dear Jesus, just right now, repeat it in your heart. Forgive me of my sins. I want to go to heaven. I want freedom from my sin. 
and my sinful past. I want freedom from the condemnation, the ultimate punishment of sin. And I desperately need freedom from guilt. Forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my heart. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. Now just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. But every sin or every decision for Christ, even though it's a private decision, has a public, has a public, has a church-wide ramification. And if you're here today, man, our church would just love to celebrate that with you. If you just ask Christ in your heart, I wonder if you did. Would you trust me enough? I promise you, I'm not going to embarrass you. But would you just right there where you sit, would you just raise your hand, say, Pastor Mike, I'm not, you don't have to say anything, just your uplifted hand will say, Pastor, I, I just pray that prayer and ask Christ in my heart. I just want you to know that I'm going to live as a free man, a free woman, a free believer in Christ. I wonder, did anybody pray that prayer this morning? Thank you so much. And God bless you. God bless you. Now this morning, as we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give a final prayer. Stand quickly. The ushers are going to come. We're going to take the Sunday morning offering. It's not for you that are visiting today. It's for those of us who consider this our home church, okay? And so don't feel obligated to put anything in. But I want us to have some homework this week. Here's the homework that we live as free men. That we have proper respect for everyone. That we love the brotherhood of the believers. That we fear God. And that we honor our king. So Father, in the name of Jesus, my prayer is first of all one of thanks for those that gave their heart to Jesus.